Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. We are now uh, about halfway through our Better Now series, looking at uh, relationships that have been impacted by the gospel. And as I mentioned last week, if you were with us, uh, you may have noticed that this series uh, started with a much sort of broader and wider scope, and each week we have been narrowing it down further and further. In week one, we looked at how the good news of Jesus impacts our relationships as a whole, both with one another and with God himself. We then looked specifically at our relationship with God, our friendship with Jesus, being led by the Spirit, how we treat fellow believers. And in the coming weeks, we're going to narrow that down even further, looking at marriage, divorce, singleness, sexuality, and sexual intimacy. And I recognize that the more specific we get, the more difficult some of these messages may be. You know, because when our focus is bigger and broader, we are all encapsulated in those messages in less specific ways. But as we narrow our focus, there may be moments where you feel like what is being taught is getting way closer to where you find yourself than you feel comfortable with. But my hope is that you would know that for us, this series has been more than a year in the making. And when we put it together, we had no situations in mind that guided how we developed the series. We just recognized that we needed to spend some time talking about relationships because it had been a while. And so instead, we just went to God's word with the question of, What does the Bible have to say about relationships? All relationships, whether that be friendships, family, marriage, singleness, sexual relations, unity among believers, the relationship we have with God, and more. And then we began to mold this series around what God's Word had to say. And usually when we form a series, that is our approach. And almost always, the series doesn't end up looking like what we thought it would before we get started. Specifically with this series, when we imagined how it might take shape, we thought one week we'd talk about marriage, and then the next week we would talk about singleness, and then the next week we would talk about divorce, and all of these topics would have their own individual messages. But as we studied closely what the New Testament has to say on all of these areas, we came to find that the New Testament almost never talks about any of these situations in isolation. Whether it be Jesus or Paul or Peter, if they address one specific type of human relationship, they'll address the others, or they'll make sure everyone is included in some way. And I believe that speaks so beautifully to the intended unity and inclusivity of the church. If Jesus addresses divorced people in a crowd, he will also address those who are married or those who are single. He'll make sure that no one is left out. If Paul has advice for the fathers and the mothers, he'll also have advice for children. If there is advice for the single women, there's also advice for the widows or for those who are married. If Peter has advice for married couples, it will closely be followed by advice for all believers. You see, if you want to talk about any of these topics and be true to the passages of Scripture that speak to them, you're likely going to address everybody in some way. The Bible is so beautifully balanced because there are specific relationships within church communities that need to be supported and and be guided and encouraged, right? But because of the way God's Word is meticulously crafted, ultimately nobody is left out when we stay true to the text. But that also means that all of us 
are unlikely to leave without being challenged in some way. Because when human relationships are addressed in Scripture, there are truths to face that may not align with how we currently feel, think, or the situations we find ourselves in. But I love what Reverend Calvin Robinson had to say in a debate on whether the Church of England should change its stance around marriage. He said, Christ spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes, but it is they who went away changed, not Christ. You know, today as we make our way through God's Word in Matthew 19, my hope is that we would have the humility to let the words of Jesus change us and not the other way around. That we would embrace the challenges rather than write them off because they are good and they are true, full of grace, and they lead us towards life, the kind of life that we've witnessed this morning as we've seen people come forward in baptism. When embraced, they help us become more and more like Jesus And so whether you are married, single, or divorced, it's likely today there will both be challenges and encouragements for you in our passage. And I will do my very best to balance both truth and grace through the short time that we have together. I've spent countless hours uh, in study, prayer, thought, and writing for the sermon, far more than I normally would, so I hope that I do present the Lord's heart through this well. Otherwise, I'm leaving on sabbatical soon, so uh, you won't have to see me for a bit. But I I do apologize if there are moments where, you know, more detail or time would have been appreciated, as we won't have time to deep dive into everything. But I am available to chat after the service and through the week if this brings up questions for you and be more than happy to talk, talk it through. And if there are moments where you are hearing a difficult truth, I encourage you to stick stick it through it and uh, not switch off, as I promise it will be followed by what I believe to be profound grace. And so with that being said, let's get into our passage this morning and explore these topics of marriage, divorce, and singleness together. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, and I encourage you to follow along in your Bible or on your phone, um, but the verses will also be on the screen as well for you to follow, and this is what it has to say. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, If this is the case, it's better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said, only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So what starts as a discussion about divorce becomes a discussion about marriage that becomes a discussion about singleness all in the space of just a few 
verses. But in those few verses are significant truths intertwined with abundant grace. You see, in Jewish culture, at the time, there was a lot of debate around divorce. Many different rabbis had different opinions on what was appropriate and would teach different things. Some groups said you can only divorce if there has been sexual morality. Some said if your wife cooked a meal you didn't like, you could divorce her. And some even said that if you found someone more attractive, then you could divorce your current wife. And these are direct quotes from some of the rabbis' uh, teachings of that time. And so these were supposedly followers of God who were teaching these sorts of things. And so the Pharisees are trying to see if Jesus will affirm any of their views in hopes to divide his followers, because many of them would have had different beliefs about divorce depending on what rabbis they paid attention to. And so initially, Jesus is very intentional in not affirming any of these views. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They recall that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus is essentially saying, well, guys, before we establish where the line should be drawn for divorce, let's first establish that it was never meant to, there was never meant to be divorce in the first place. That was not part of the plan. That was not part of God's original design. And so first, let's be striving to not let marriage fall apart at all. Let's not just jump to, well, divorce happens, so when is it appropriate? Let's first clarify that divorce is a last resort, a concession that was made in recognition that sin in the world sometimes means divorce is necessary. But it should never be the norm, especially in the lives of followers of God. The Jews had resigned to the fact that divorce is just a regular and common part of life, and they were making it easier and easier for people to do so. And so Jesus says, no, no, no. Let's take a few steps back and first hold up marriage as a beautiful and sacred thing that is intended to be lifelong. Jesus even establishes that it is more than just a human relationship, right? He says, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And so Jesus clarifies that there is a spiritual element to marriage where God is involved. And so it's not just something to throw away or easily undo. And as we read in Ephesians 5 earlier this year in our, um, one of our previous series, Paul establishes why marriage is spiritually important, right? Essentially, he says, when a man and a woman come together in marriage, they are a beautiful spiritual illustration of Christ and the church, which is a bond that can never be undone. And so divorce is something that is outside of that intended picture for marriage. And so first, Jesus is trying to make that abundantly clear that marriage is a God-ordained commitment for life. And I really love how Jesus explains this commitment by going all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis. What he has to say is a quote from Genesis chapter 2. And Jesus regularly does this. Often when someone asks him a controversial question, he will respond with an answer that is found in the first few chapters of Genesis. And this is such a powerful way to answer because essentially it nullifies any debates or varying cultural interpretations or significant historical events that have taken place between the beginning and that current moment that may influence their understanding of marriage. The Jews are like, well, then why did Moses allow divorce? And that question is valid. But when Jesus says, yeah, but how was it originally meant to be? 
what is the original source of truth, then any discussion after that, truth is less relevant. Because the original truth was that God made them male and female. And a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And no one should split that apart. Essentially, it doesn't really matter, Pharisees, what you think and feel now. What did God say then? Yes, a lot has happened between now and then, but the original truth is still the truth, no matter how much time passes by. And Jesus' approach of going back to the beginning is so applicable for so many different discussions, whether that be around marriage and divorce or current discussions around sexuality. You know, there is so much debate around how, you know, how do we interpret this specific word? Is it this or is it that? What is culturally relevant to us? Or more specific debates around stories of the Bible, such as if we interpret what took place in Sodom and Gomorrah as a lack of hospitality rather than sexual morality, then that changes the reason why the city was destroyed. But ultimately, none of those debates are as relevant if we say, but what did God say right back at the beginning? What was his original design for intimate human relationships? That a man would leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two would be united into one. It doesn't really matter what has happened since then because everything since then has been in a world where things aren't as they should be, a world affected by sin. But in a world where there was no sin, this is how it was, this is how God set it out to be in Genesis chapter 2. And no matter how much time passes and how much our opinions change or our cultures change, what God designed in Genesis 2 will always stay the same. If we stay true to the original meaning of the text, this is what it will always say. And I believe in Jesus' mind, that's how he expects those of us who are followers of him to live, as if we are back in that original perfect design. In a world that is broken, we are meant to be examples of what it looks like to live as if it isn't. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells his followers not to worry about what they'll wear or where the next meal will come from. In a time when people often only had one outfit, and it was a very real reality that they might not know where their next meal was coming from. But according to Jesus and God's original design, we could always trust that he would provide for us with what we need. And so as followers of him today, we can live trusting that he will provide, even in a world where that isn't always the case. In a world that is broken, we are meant to be examples of what it looks like to live as if it isn't. Not in a fake way, because life is difficult for us too, and we make mistakes as well, and, and we struggle with sin and temptation, but in a way where we strive to live out what we will one day experience when Jesus comes back. And so if we are ever unsure on, on where to land on a topic, we can go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and say, well, how is it meant to be? How is it meant to be? That seems to be Jesus' point of reference, and that can be ours as well. Even in you know, even with what is going, if what is going on in the world around us is different, even if what we feel is different, we are called to live like we are back in the Garden of Eden and be an example of hope and order in a world that is often broken and chaotic. And when we go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we can be confident that marriage is a God-ordained lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. And anything outside of that was not part of the plan, and that's what we believe here at Crossroads. And so that is the truth of that first part of the conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. A truth that may be difficult to hear, 
but a truth that is intended to shape us rather than us shape it. But with that truth comes grace. There's grace because though Jesus calls us to live as if we are in that original perfect plan, he recognizes, he knows, he understands that we do live in a world that has been heavily impacted by sin. And he understands that no matter how hard we try to live according to that original plan, we sometimes still contribute to that brokenness. And he understands that we also may be impacted by that brokenness. And so he makes space. The Pharisees are correct that God allowed Moses to make allowance for divorce, not because he wanted to, but because in order to live in this broken world, unfortunately, sometimes it may be necessary. And so Jesus makes clear that divorce wasn't a part of God's original plan, but then he gives an exception to when divorce is considered appropriate. You know, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus, as a human being, knows how difficult life can be. And he also knows that no matter how hard you try, others may not and deeply hurt you in ways in which Jesus gives grace for you to get out of that situation. And so he says that it is adultery to divorce a spouse and marry someone else unless a spouse has been unfaithful. And in Jesus' context, he specifically refers to a husband divorcing an unfaithful wife, as in his context, generally that was unfortunately one-sided, and it was very difficult for a woman to get a divorce. But based on uh, further teachings of Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, which Pastor Reuben will touch on in a few weeks, I think it is appropriate to apply this truth to both husbands and wives. But if you are here this morning, and your marriage did end due to your spouse being unfaithful, which I believe uh, can mean not only sexually, but in the fact that they might have just up and left, then I hope you know that you don't have to feel shame about that. God sees that. He understands that. He understands the immense emotional and spiritual pain that you have experienced, and He has grace for that. He has grace for you. When it comes to marriage and divorce, there is a truth that we can know that marriage is a God-ordained lifelong commitment between a man and a woman, but there is also grace for when it does not work out that way. So, if your situation has not played out that way, I want you to know that God sees you. He loves you. He has plans for your life, and you are so welcome here in this place. We are unashamed at Crossroads to teach what we believe is true according to the Bible, and we will uphold that truth, but we have grace and space for anyone whose situation has been different to that truth, and so does Jesus. Jesus declares that truth. He intertwines it with grace, and his disciples respond with, well, if that's the case, then it's better not to marry. Right? You see, they too lived in a world where divorce was commonplace and it was considered a normal and appropriate thing to do. This was their culture and they were not exempt from thinking this. And they are totally thrown off by Jesus' stance on this situation. This really challenges the way that they feel and the way that they think. If you can't get divorced, then why would you even get married? That's what they're thinking. That's how they feel. But you see, this was an opportunity for the disciples to be changed by Jesus rather than Jesus be changed by them. And so for the disciples, it was the specifics around divorce that they found difficult and that really rocked them. For us in our time and culture, that may also rock us too. But it may also be what Jesus has to say about marriage being between a man and a woman. 
for the disciples in their time, this wasn't really so much up for debate, debate in Jewish culture, so they wouldn't really have been thinking about it. But for us today, it's a, a far more relevant topic. We might say marriage between a man and a woman. What about anybody who's attracted to the same sex? That truth doesn't fit into how I see the world. It, that doesn't fit into my experience, my feelings, or the realities of the lives of the people around me. And, and we may feel thrown and conflicted by what the Bible has to say on the matter because the Bible, uh, its language is pretty strong on this topic. And in the time that we live in, those are reasonable questions to be asking and, and understandable things to be feeling, right? Because the culture and the world around us tells us otherwise. And so I don't write that off, and, and I'll do my best to explore that a little today with the short time that we have and, and in the weeks to come. But let's first acknowledge that there is an opportunity here for our views to be shaped by God's rather than ours trying to shape His and change what He established right back at the start. Unfortunately, again for us, there is grace. There is grace. Jesus has grace for us as we wrestle with this difficult, these difficult questions and the world around us. He hears the response of his disciples, and he says, Not everyone can accept this statement. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Essentially, look, the truth about marriage is going to be hard for some of you to hear. And some of you won't be able to accept that. I understand that. But if you are willing to accept it and you might need God's help to do so, then there is also blessing and singleness in God's kingdom. If what you feel, if what you experience doesn't fit those biblical parameters for marriage, there is space for you to be blessed by God through singleness. But before we get into the specifics of singleness, I want to say that, man, I, I really appreciate Jesus acknowledging how difficult it can be to accept these parameters. Because I personally have family and, and friends whose feelings and experience, experiences don't fit those parameters. And man, it's not an easy thing to accept that God's call on their life is to abstain from how they feel. It's just not that simple. And as someone who loves and cares for them, I find myself coming back to God regularly and, and saying, is this really it? Is this really it? Is this really what you want for them? But as I read the scriptures, I find it difficult to be honest with the text and interpret it any other way. But with God's help, we can be shaped by this difficult truth and believe that he has blessing in store for anyone who is willing to walk that difficult path. If you don't feel comfortable with God's design for marriage, there can be great blessing through singleness. But he understands that some of us are going to find it hard to accept. But there may be many reasons for singleness, right? not just because you may not feel attracted to the opposite sex. And Jesus gives three different reasons in this passage, right? That some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And this is super interesting because in English, we just get uh, presented with the word eunuch. But in Greek, these three situations are far more nuanced. There's more clarity and distinction between these situations. For those who are eunuchs, this uh, born as eunuchs, this refers to a human male who by nature is incapable of sexual intercourse. These are not people who have been castrated. They were born this way. For those who are made eunuchs by others, this refers to males who are castrated, usually to serve royal families without sexual intimacy being a distraction, which is a practice that is far less relevant for us today. 
And for those who choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom, refers to those who have chosen to forego any sorts of intimate relationship in order to be able to focus more on serving God, such as Paul the Apostle. Some other translations, such as the ESV, also refer to this group as eunuchs. And so what's interesting about these options that Jesus presents is that, first of all, Jesus acknowledges that there are people who are born without standard male or female genitalia. You know, often in the discussion around gender identity, the situation that is presented as the justification for gender transition or multiple genders is the fact that when some people are born, it's not clear whether they are male or female, known as hermaphrodites. And so if they can be born neither clearly one or the other, then the constructs for sex break down and there is room for other people to be born as one but transition to the other or identify as something else entirely. But Jesus, being totally aware of the existence of these individuals, still confidently makes the statement that from the beginning, God made them male and female. But in his statements on singleness, Jesus also doesn't ignore the realities that some individuals are born where this isn't physically as clear, and he makes room for them in a life of singleness. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, nobody is left out. No one is forgotten. And in fact, Jesus goes even further than that. His grace stretches beyond that. He doesn't just say, if you can't marry, well, then just be single. Because God in Isaiah 56 says this, it says, for this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within my walls, within my house, a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. God acknowledges that for many the path of singleness is not easy. It's not an easy one, especially for those who didn't choose to be single. God sees that. He understands that. And so he says, for those of you who are single, I will give a name far greater than sons or daughters could ever give. For the name I will give is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. God is saying, I acknowledge that you have walked a difficult path. And for that reason, I will bless you specifically in an eternal way. And I personally don't know exactly what that looks like, but I just want you to know that God sees you. And when we are with him one day, you will be recognized. And we recognize you here today. If you are single and you are using your time to build God's kingdom, then you are so valuable to this church community. And we would be lacking without you. First Corinthians 7, Paul says this. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. A church community is greatly blessed when it has single individuals within it who can have more time to focus on what matters eternally rather than be distracted by earthly things that ultimately don't last past this life. Those who are single should never be made to feel bad, be treated differently, or miss out on any sort of opportunity. And I apologize if you have ever felt that way in this place, because the reality is when we look at things with an eternal perspective, single people haven't missed out on anything important. In fact, they may have a clearer perspective than those who are married do because they have less distraction. Those who are single should be lifted up and celebrated because they are an integral part to our church. 
It was a single man, Paul, who gave us almost the entirety of the New Testament. And our Savior Jesus never married. And so we all owe a lot to people who forewent marriage for the sake of the kingdom. And so if you are single, we are so grateful that you are here today and that you are such a blessing to our church. I'm not saying that it's easy. Not by any means. And as a church, we need to be intentional in making sure single people are integrated and included well in our community so that they can find the fulfillment of family here. But it is not second class to be single. And according to God's word, it can be a tremendous blessing. You may not always feel that it is, but I want to tell you today that I believe that it is, and we are so grateful for you here. And I would love to dive deeper into how we include those who are single in our church community, but unfortunately, there isn't really enough time to do that today. However, if you would like to explore this area more, I encourage you to check out Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Albury. Sam Albury is a, a pastor who has chosen to live a celibate life due to the way that he feels and, and has written a fantastic book on how to make the most of living a single life. I have a copy on my shelf if anybody would like to borrow it. We read it as a staff team so that we've got a few copies around. Otherwise, you can get it on Kindle or you can order it online. They may even have it at Mana here in town. But, you know, as followers of Jesus, we can be confident that marriage is a God-ordained lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. But also singleness for the sake of God's kingdom is highly valued by God. And so there is room for all of us to be blessed in God's kingdom. And I recognize that there's a lot to unpack there, right? There's a lot of reasons why you might find yourself slotting into either one of those groups, more than we have time for this morning. But that is the overarching truth. And my hope is that you would find space to pursue either marriage or singleness here in this church community. And that we would all be willing to come and be shaped by Jesus rather than trying to shape his words to fit us. Because these truths are only applicable when we let that be a reality for us. And here at Crossroads, we will do our best to uphold that truth and the truth of God's word and, and not compromise it, but also hopefully have space for grace as you wrestle with that, possibly find it hard to accept that, but ultimately, hopefully, be shaped and molded by those truths. May our relationships be positively impacted by the good news of Jesus. And so now as we wrap up and I invite the, the worship team back up to join us and, and we wrestle with those challenging truths, I just want to finish with the story of the woman at the well. A story that we looked at a couple months ago in our Everyday Missionary series that I believe embodies the beautiful balance of truth and grace through Jesus. You see, in John chapter 4, we find the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And she had her own complicated past and was living a life that didn't align with God's parameters for healthy relationships. She had been married five times, and the current man she was living with wasn't her husband. Also bearing in mind that she's living in a time where women could be divorced for all sorts of ludicrous reasons, so this was likely totally out of her hands and could have not been her fault. Yet when Jesus meets her at the well... He didn't judge her or condemn her. He held to what he believed was true when it came to marriage and his beliefs around the Jewish people as they went back and forth in conversation. But primarily, Jesus engaged in a conversation with her, offering her living water, which was a symbol of the eternal life and grace that he provides. And the Samaritans 
Samaritan woman's encounter with Jesus, it transformed her. She left her water jar behind at the well and she ran back to the town to tell the people of the good news of Jesus. The Samaritan woman met Jesus and and her life was changed by his truth and grace. And just as Jesus went out of his way to reach the Samaritan woman, he goes out of his way to reach each one of us, regardless of our relationship status or life circumstances. He speaks truth into our lives, gently revealing the brokenness and sin within us, but he does so with immense grace and love. And so as we navigate the complexities of relationships in our lives, whether that be married, single, divorced, widowed, or something else, we can find hope, healing, and transformation in Jesus. Let us allow the words of Jesus to change us, embracing both the challenges and the profound grace that leads us towards life. And as we do so, may our relationships be positive positively impacted by the good news of Jesus and be a shining beacon of hope and love in a world that longs for truth and grace. And I recognize that a lot of what I'm saying here is is far easier said than done, and we won't get this all figured out in one Sunday sermon. And so if myself or any of the pastoral team or elders can support you through this in any way, then come chat to us after the service. I'll be down the front myself, Reuben, the elders. We'll be more than happy to, to chat to you either today or catch up with you through the week and talk about this more. Um, you can find our contact details on our website, crossroads.co.nz, and we'll be more than happy to catch up and chat. But now as we get ready to move back into a time of worship and maybe you're sort of wrestling with some of these things, we'll be down here. We'll be available to chat and, and as well after the service. We'll be here. We'll be willing to talk. But we recognize that this isn't easy. We recognize that this isn't a walk in the park, right? This is complicated. But we trust that God is good. We trust that Jesus is good. We trust that he has given us life. And if we follow him and walk in his ways, that he will lead us to life. And what he has for us is ultimately good. And so I'd love to just pray for us now as we get into a time of worship. And I'd love to ask for you to stand with me as as we pray. and, And we give this to the Lord. God, thank you for some time in your word this morning. And thank you that you want what is best for us. Thank you that when we become followers of you, we don't just sort of stay still and stay where we are, but you continue to shape us and mold us and make us more like you. And often in your word, Lord, you use things like fire as an illustration for what refines us. And we know that fire um, can hurt. We know that fire is not going to be an easy thing to go through, but we know the sort of beautiful things that fire can refine, precious metals and things like that. And we recognize that you shape us and mold us in the same sort of ways and refine us. And and so I pray that you would do that for us, Lord. I pray that we would come to you and we would let you shape us and not the other way around. I pray that we would let go of our cultural expectations or anything we bring and let your word be our guiding truth. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people of hope, and love and healing and display the fruit of your spirit in a world that often is the opposite, Lord, and can be quite chaotic and broken and confusing. May what we believe, though it be hard, Lord, be the truth that people are looking for, be the hope that they're wanting to find. And may they come to know the, your good news. 
May we, Lord, as a church, be unified through this, support each other, encourage each other, lift each other up, build each other up, and recognize that our differences is what makes us a beautiful, beautifully unified church, that you're not calling us to be uniform, Lord, you're just calling us to be unified and come together and bring who we are and put it before you and be shaped by you. And so we pray for that, Lord. We pray that this church would exist for your glory and just be a hope and a light to our city. So we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you how it's challenged, but we also thank you how it's encouraged. We're so grateful for your grace. We're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful that you make space and that you never make a statement without being totally aware of everybody that that would involve and that you include us all. Thank you that we are all your children and that when the world sort of fell to sin, you had a plan to make a way back to you. We're so grateful for your love, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content, but thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.